Is this the dagger? Illegal substitution, too many men on the field, Saskatchewan. Gizmo has a block in the sideline. He has not stepped out, he may go all the way. He needs one block and he'll do it easily. Promise mess I wouldn't do this. McDavid stops up, what a move, shoots, scores! Podcast episode 60, and it's going to be a good one. Welcome to The Outsiders. I'm Bryn Griffiths, along with Robin Brownlee, and joining us today from Winnipeg. And we booked this a week ago, knowing that there might be a little mayhem on the way. Joining us from Jets TV and CJOB Radio in Winnipeg is our good friend, Jamie Thomas. How are you doing? Uh, fantastic. Uh, a little tired like the rest of everyone else, but uh, it was it's, it was a fun series um lots of places to go from here i imagine well let's talk about the series because for me i've called it a five game sweep because it felt like we <laughs> went five games it felt also it like a seven game series because it was uh, tough sledding for both hockey clubs but the winnipeg jets were just a little bit better in every department and deserved to win the series your assessment on what you saw over the last week well, it was exactly what Paul Maurice was hoping for over the last, say, 10 games of the regular season when the things went off the rails for the Winnipeg Jets. Lots of people jumping off the bandwagon before the end of the season. And you get two late wins in at the close of the regular season against Vancouver and Toronto, and you kind of right the ship a little bit. And then it carries over into the playoffs. And it was the message throughout the year, Bryn and Robin, was they had to keep their shifts short because of the season was so compressed and they had to play better in their own end and they had to cut back on the rush chances. And sometimes it looked like it clicked in during the regular season and then others that did not, they righted things out a little bit towards the end. And then you saw, I don't think, I think I counted maybe two rush goals by the Edmonton Oilers where the jets turned things over at the blue line or in the neutral zone through the entire series. And that is what, Paul Maurice has been preaching for a very long time now. This is the way you have to play if you want to win the playoffs, especially against a team like Edmonton and or Toronto when they couldn't figure out who it was at the time that they're going to match up against. But, you know, Connor Hellebuck was the better goaltender in this series, and we haven't been able to say that in Winnipeg. You know, he got outplayed last year by Cam Talbot and or David Riddick. The year before that, it was Jordan Biddington. And then in the 2018 conference final against Vegas, Marc-Andre Fleury was better than he was. So this is the first time... I think we've been able to say in quite some time that Connor Hellebuck was the better goaltender in a series in the playoffs. Jamie, uh, I think there was a lot of legitimate surprise uh, outside mm -hmm. of Winnipeg at how this series unfolded. I was one of those guys who picked the Oilers. And in fact, I was, I had the Oilers in five, not mm -hmm. because I didn't like the Jets, but in terms of style and matchup, I mean, 7-2 during the regular season, uh, mm -hmm. For the Oilers, we know that. We know that Connor Hellebuck is the reigning Vezina Trophy holder, but we also know Mike Smith, head-to-head -head at least, matched him or bettered him in the series, and that McDavid and Dreisaitl presented problems that the Jets just couldn't solve uh, during the, se the series. How did that swing, however subtly, during the playoff series to change everything? 
Well, you, you recall through the series, Robin, the third forward stayed high, right? Whenever the Jets were in the Oilers' end, there was no three guys deep. It was always that high, that forward three, the third forward hanging out high, and that cut back on those rush chances that we saw Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl torch the Winnipeg Jets with throughout the regular season. And then I thought the the three defense pairings, as particularly Dylan DeMello and Josh Morrissey, who were put together last year after the trade deadline. DeMello came over from Ottawa. They were playing, they played in the bubble last year. They didn't start the year together. It was Tucker Pullman and Josh Morrissey. But as the playoffs got closer, Dylan DeMello and, and Josh Morrissey uh, got paired together. They were brilliant. Neil Pionk, as always, is a real pain in the butt, especially when it comes to Connor McDavid. You saw a little frustration uh, in Edmonton because Pionk is, for whatever reason, he takes a – you saw him get absolutely blasted by Leon Dreisettle in the neutral zone last night or this morning. I lose track half the time. And bounced up and got back at it again. And Derek Forbert uh, was very – like his play kind of weaned off a little bit because of all the block shots that he had, that he had a lot of miles on him, but for whatever reason, maybe the rest was all he needed. He was fantastic as well. And then Tucker Pullman and Logan Stanley. I think Logan Stanley is the big surprise in the blue line for a lot of people. He's a former first round pick and it took him a while to develop. And as you guys know, it takes defensemen a long time to adjust the professional game. It took Logan Stanley some time in the American hockey league with the Manitoba moose and Head coach Pascal Vincent, uh, they did a heck of a job with him, and he was fully prepared to play. And uh, you saw his size and his range, uh, very tough to deal with. And he was physical throughout the series. So I give a lot of credit to that high forward, but you got to give a lot of credit to the defense pairings. And then again, Connor Hellebuck was there. Anytime they got behind the defense, Connor Hellebuck was absolutely brilliant. And uh, I think you got out goalied if you're the Edmonton Oilers in this series. And that's just hands down what happened. And, and see, I, and I started breaking everything down after the game yesterday. And I looked at all the departments and I checked all the boxes and Winnipeg had the edge yeah. in every area. I didn't see them having a monstrous edge in goaltending. I thought Connor Hellebuck was the better, but I still mm-hmm. think that Mike Smith played. I, you can't blame Mike Smith for the loss no. in this series. The one area that was dominant, absolute dominance for the Winnipeg Jets was in the face-off circle, which, of course, mm-hmm. allowed that. The I, I started referring to Game 3, which was the tipping point game of this series for me, and it yes. had a lot of the miracle on Manchester feel about it for me. And mm-hmm. then, of course, to see the winning goal, which was almost a reverse opposite Daryl Evans' goal right off the face-off to Ehlers, yeah. it, it had it all. And uh, yes. to me, the face-off circle was the one area where the Oilers just were not even close to being in this game. There were times where it was almost 70-30 Winnipeg winning face-offs. That's really an important thing in the playoffs. And I just, I, I really looked at that and I went, the Oilers keep wanting to freeze it up or ice the puck. Why are they doing that? But yeah. for the most part, I, I, I thought it was a great, fun series to watch. It, as I said, craziest four-game sweep I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And you you go to the faceoff circle, Brent, and Paul Murray's touched on this. He goes, ordinarily, like the faceoffs, you can't win and lose games on it. But when you have go up against a team like the Oilers, a puck possession team, and you yeah. want to keep the puck away from 97 and 29, you have to win the faceoff. And I was curious, Dave Tippett seemed to only trust Leon Dreisaitl in the faceoff circle as the series wore on. Um, Adam Lowry's great in the draws. Um, Nate Thompson fantastic centerman right he was brought up brought in at, um in the off season because and him and trevor lewis 
because Palmer's hadn't had a, a fourth line since 2018. And you saw why they had to have it. There was that ma- rare rat matchup with the Nate Thompson line against the Connor McDavid line. And Palmer's said, if I trust Trevor Lewis and Nate Thompson five on four, why wouldn't I trust them at five on five right. against the Connor McDavid line? And you're not, he says, I'm not hiding that fourth line. The previous two years, you know, he's keeping Mason Appleton and company on, on the bench because he doesn't want that that matchup. You have that. And I also forgot to throw in the fact that you add two top six forwards in games two and three. You bring Pierre-Luc Dubois into game two. Nikolai Ehlers, who I think tilted the series more in the Jets' favor when he came in in game three, an immediate impact in that aspect. So they're just little things throughout the, the series that they won each game differently because of different factors, but... Yeah, I mean, face-offs was a huge, huge role for them. And one other thing, and when we were talking about the series last week on our podcast, the, the two areas of concern to me were net minding. Uh, that didn't mm-hmm. that wasn't an issue as far as I was concerned. I was really looking at the bottom six and comparing Winnipeg's bottom six to the bottom six forwards for the Edmonton Oilers. And for Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl to get some space to maneuver out there, they needed production or they needed the bottom six guys to chew up some time to wait for those breaks. Yes. And they never got that. They never got that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought Winnipeg's guys, if they weren't productive offensively, at least were dependable defensively. And to me, the difference here in this series was bottom six guys. That plus goaltending, yeah, I guess. You, yeah, there's the, I mean, the more we talk here, you start to it starts to creep in a little bit. All the little things what that where Edmonton won, or sorry Winnipeg won this series. When you have Andrew Kopp, uh, Adam Lowry, and Mason Appleton as your third line, I'll, I'll take that anytime. And, and Lowry is a big, strong, powerful man, uh, very good at the physical side of things, good in the faceoff circle. Mason Appleton had a breakout year this year at double digits and goals. Hard to believe he's a sixth round pick, right from 2015. And then Andrew Kopp, who played in the top six to start until Nikolai Ehlers returned, he drops down the third line. He had a, a tremendous season this year, a, a career year. So, and then tied that in with that fourth line. That's where, you know, I remember in the regular season when it was a game, I can't remember six or seven, when Tippett loaded up his top line. I'm like, how how is this team going to win? And I'm speaking of the Oilers when there's nothing behind line number one. And that started to show uh, as that series wore on. Jamie, um, as you'd expect, because Jets fans have had to get used to this over the years, um, there'll be second guessing and consternation. And what about what's Ken Holland going to do? And on and on and on. The stuff you get in a postmortem after a, a playoff series. It's disgusting. The one, thing, the one thing I woke up to this morning that made me smile was. And and was Blake Wheeler. And he's Mm -hmm. sort of the old war horse in Winnipeg now. Yes, he is. Uh, And he makes the quip about getting hit in the nuts with the slapper. (laughs) And it's like, well, my wife and I, we've got our three kids now and we're not having any more. So it's all good. Talk a little bit about Blake Wheeler and this team. Well, I think he's relaxed significantly. Remember, you know, I don't know if you guys paid all, well, you probably did because you're sports guys. 2018, he didn't look like he was having a whole lot of fun. And that was a really good team. Like that was probably the most fun I've had covering a team that year because they just, it seemed like they could score whenever they wanted to. Uh, there was lots of late comebacks, great goaltending. 
And he didn't seem relaxed at all. And even as the playoffs wore on, I'm like, can this guy not have fun? Brian Little was having the time of his life because he comes over from Atlanta and also they've had to struggle for every time. And all of a sudden they're a dominant team. He's having a good time. 2019, the pressure was on the Jets. Like there's a lot of expectations for them to get to the Stanley Cup final. And him and Mark Shifley were not having fun at all. Last year, a little tougher. And then he admitted before 2020, 2019-20, that he had to loosen up a little bit and have some more fun. And I think he realized that the room was really young and he kind of had to get into that area. And then he admitted a little bit of a fault when the Jets traded Patrick Line that maybe he felt he was a little bit harder or should have talked a little bit more with Patrick Line, you know, during his time in Winnipeg. So as is, I think he realized that all these times they got to the playoffs, got to have some fun. And to take one of the nuts and joke about it afterwards sure uh, speaks to what he's done. And I think it helps that there's a the team is older now, Robin, right? There's not so many baby-faced guys. He doesn't have to cater to the young guys anymore. You bring in a Nate Thompson and Trevor Lewis, you have some veteran solid leadership in the room, and you don't have to be as big a leader as you ordinarily had to be, be the only veteran guy presence in the dressing room. And Josh Morris, he's a little bit older older now and Adam Lowry's I've talked about Andrew Kopp so you have more leadership based in your dressing room so I think it's allowed him to relax a little bit and also on top of that he was healthy for the first time going in the playoffs and he has been in the last four years right he gets the concussion uh, play with crack ribs earlier in the year so you you saw the speed that he has when people were talking about how he'd lost a step well cracked ribs will play a big role in that as well and last year he played with a significant injury too. So I think he's having more fun because he's healthy and the fact that the Jets get uh, a long break here before the next round of the playoffs. Jamie, tell us what you can about the dressing room uh, as a whole. We mm-hmm. mentioned Wheeler when it comes to that. There have been times in the past when the appearance from outside at least has yeah. been that there's been some friction, that this hasn't been a particularly tight hockey club uh that doesn't seem to be an issue now if it ever was i think the bubble and being forced to be together plays a large role in that uh, they've i don't want to say that they're prisoners but they pretty much are when they go on the road it's your hotel it's your team and and the coaching staff and that's it so I, it's brought them closer this year and it, it's noticeable too winning helps but when they went on their slide i think the closeness of the team really showed because there wasn't people pointing fingers. There wasn't a lot of, I think I only saw a couple of times where Blake really looked frustrated post game, but it was just because they were mad at themselves. And then I recall the time member, he threw the puck in the stands in Edmonton after they had lost to the Oilers and Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisettle had uh, burned them again. But I think this year, because they've had to stay together, it's allowed the team to become more tight and it's shown and they're, and you know, Again, going back to my original point, they're not pointing fingers when things get tough and they realize they're good enough to get out of tough stretches because of the talent that they have on the roster and they have the guy number 37 in net. Let's talk about Mark Shifley, though, for a moment. Watching him after the game and people were asking, okay, so this was a four-game sweep and he just kind of laughed a little bit and said, really? Like It it didn't feel like Mm -hmm. a four-game sweep. And he also talked about the fear factor going into the the game last night or early this morning about the fact that he just never wanted to let the Edmonton Oilers get back into this thing because even down 3 nothing with those two guys over on the other bench, we'd have to be yeah. really concerned about momentum change. And through, all the way through this past year, 
one team or the other has had a little bit of an edge where they've gone on a run. The Oilers did six in a row, and now we saw what Winnipeg did for four in a row. The, the, this series had all the markings of being, being a close one, and even though the score in the first game makes it look like that was a blowout game, that was a one-goal game, they were all one-goal games, but I, I really like the way Shifley played in the series. He was a pain in the ass at times, and he's got to play like that as far as I'm concerned to be effective. He really stepped it up big time. Yeah, and remember in a series against Toronto, Mark Shifley was benched. Um, it, it was on the ice for too long. Yeah. Um, and on a goal against against the Maple Leafs, uh, he they sat down for a bit because, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, the mantra throughout the year was short shifts. And Paul Marie said, if you don't have the energy to get back up, to get back down the ice, then you shouldn't be on the ice. Um, so that message sunk in, I think. And in the first two games of the series, he, that top line sacrificed offense to play defense against the Oilers in the first two games in Edmonton. And then the opportunities presented themselves. So it was all about patience. It's all what the coach has been presenting to you the entire season long. And all of a sudden you're like, okay, we can win playing this style of hockey, playing tight defensively and waiting for our opportunities. And those opportunities presented themselves in games three and four. And you saw the elite skill. You saw the tying goal, the mistake by Ethan Bear, and the Jets quickly turn it. It's like Wheeler, Connor, Shifley in the net. Uh, power play goal. Like he was, he was excellent. But I give he had to have been given credit by Paul Maurice and the coaching staff by how well he played and that top line for that matter, because that was a tough matchup. I know the Andrew La the Adam Lowry line had the main responsibility against uh, McDavid and Drysaddle for most of the series in Winnipeg, but it was the top line playing defense first in games one and two that really changed things around for them. Jamie, this series was exhibit A that uh, the regular season series meant very little mm -hmm. uh, in what happened in the playoffs. There's things you can take from it, but it's not a predictor of anything. With that in mind, uh, who looks like the better matchup to you uh, for the Jets in the next round. Uh, I don't have the season series records in front of me. Yeah, no. Montreal, Toronto, um, the team is never going to say they prefer an opponent, but who no. do you think provides the most, the more favorable matchup for, for the Jets? Well, you just come off a series with elite talent uh, with the Edmonton Oilers and the Jets prepared for Toronto and Edmonton the exact same way. So maybe you would feel better about playing against Toronto, but you had more regular season success against Montreal. The thing that Montreal has killed Winnipeg on over the years leading up to this one is mistakes. The blue line, their transition game is very good. I just think they match up better against Toronto because they're already in that mode right now. And the way, the way you have to play defense first against a team with the likes of Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner, question mark and jack campbell's answered some questions already i'm not sure jack campbell can go ahead to head against connor hellebuck right yeah. now yeah. whereas carry price carry price can and maybe there's still no like he's still a league goaltender i don't care what anybody says carry price can win a series i'm not sure if jack campbell's in that area yet he's showing flashes of it so i think the jets match up better against toronto but uh they'll they'll take whatever poisons throw it at him in the second round Hey, let's talk about the coaches, though, for a moment. There, there was a time during this season where I looked at Paul Maurice and thought two things. One, why isn't he wearing his glasses? Well, we, we found out the reason for that. He was in a bit of a yeah. fog. 
And of course, yeah. we've all, any of us with glasses know exactly that feeling. But the other thing I started to wonder was, I don't know if, if he's going to be able to get this team to the next level. And somehow, mm-hmm. through that losing skid, he kept his calm and was patient and pulled the right levers. And now here we are. And it just it makes the organization look really, really solid and strong when you don't overreact to how all of us, I always talk about the fan and media backwash. They didn't, yes. they didn't fall for any of that, and no. uh, and now they're now they're seeing results. Mm-hmm. And uh, every city, and I say this all the time, every team and their fan base always has a player that's in the minor leagues or in junior that they think should be on the big team, and it's the the coaching staff is idiots. They're, they don't know what they're talking about. They're killing, you know, the this guy's potential. He should be up in the big club, and that guy this year was Billy Hanela. Who they got in the first round uh, when in a trade that uh, that Neil Pionk trade where they traded Jacob Truba to the Rangers, which turns out pretty good. So there was all kinds of cries that Billy Hainala should be up here at a great World Juniors. Why is he playing with the Manitoba Moose? Well, as we mentioned a little bit earlier, it's pretty hard to play defense in the National Hockey League as a young player. And Paul Murray's had an idea and knows what he's talking about. As does Charlie Huddy, as yeah. you guys know full well. Like I think he's seen everything, has he not, guys? Right? He has. There's, there's anybody. Anybody you should not be critiquing is Charlie Huddy. He's got a great sense of humor. Paul Maurice gave him a bunch of credit the other day with the work he's done with the defensemen. So to to, to your question, yeah, the, the, there was articles being written that Paul Maurice needs to be fired if the Jets don't reach their potential and that they don't win the first round and all that and that stuff. And he, you know, it's pretty quiet now, isn't it? It's it's amazing. The, the one thing I like to tell people, and we're spoiled. If you listen to Paul Maurice talk post game and before games and on practice days, he tells you exactly what's going on. Like a lot of people go, why is this guy in the lineup? He'll tell you that's, there's not many coaches that do that. Not many coaches tell the fans and the media exactly what's going on. Sure. He has his little secrets, how things are going to work and what they're doing, but he'll tell you why guys in, he'll tell you why, you know, a guy like uh, Christian Veselainen is on the fourth line. Cause he doesn't believe young players understand what it takes to play on the fourth line. They don't want to sacrifice. They don't want to play just eight minutes. It's they're better served playing in the top six. And that's what he's been saying for the longest time about his fourth line guys. And you get people complaining about uh, Nate Thompson. Oh, it's Matt Hendricks 2.0. We all know what Matt Hendricks brings to any dressing room and on the ice. You won't get that from a young player at center. They're not going to sacrifice at all. So he stuck with his guns. He understood the process of this long season said it when in March when they played 17 games in 31 days he prepared the, the players for that that's that short shifts situation where you got to get off the ice in 45 seconds or else we're not going to make it here and that worked out and he stuck with his guns with his younger defense brought in Logan Stanley uh when there was people thought he was a bust uh and at last time I checked whoever the Jets have drafted in the first round it's turned out pretty well so you're trusting what Kevin Dayoff has brought in He's given you, you trust your goaltender and this is where it gets you. And I think another thing we haven't pointed out is this is the first time this year that they've had two power play units that could hurt you. Ordinarily it was the big line, Patrick line, you know, Blake, we with the scene pass Dustin Bufflin from the point they could, they would kill you. And then the other second power power play unit would come out for 15 seconds. Maybe this year, there was an actual battle going on between who had the most power play goals, which is so unique. And you watch the series 
there's a big difference between unit number one and unit number two, and it's very hard to defend either one. Pierre-Luc Dubois can hurt you on the one side. There's Mace, there's Nikolai Ehlers coming up the half wall to the blue line, takes that pass, rips the shot off. There's a lot of different ways they can hurt you in that second unit. And Matthew Perot, the ageless wonder, um, I'm unfortunately I haven't mentioned him enough this year in, in this conversation. He's been incredible. I got an important goal in the power play in game number three. So he he knew his guys. He knew what needed to be done. Did a heck of a job building it up. And that's why the Jets are where they are. And that's why there's a lot of quiet in the Winnipeg Jets land of people that believe Paul Maurice had lost his room. Yeah. Jamie, the fans can't be in the building now, obviously. Yeah. But when I think of Winnipeg, for a lot of reasons, I think of the fans. Um, Everybody celebrating this win now. There was a stretch there way back for old farts like me. <laughs> I remember covering that series in 90. Where yes. The Jets led three to one. And it looked like they might finally be on their way. They played the Oilers six straight years and yeah. the Oilers would beat them, uh, put a very good team on the sidelines and go, go win a Stanley Cup. Then yeah. in 90, the unlikely Oilers Cup, they blew the lead. Then they lose the hockey club. I know yes. that's ancient history for our younger listeners too, but that's a big thing. Winnipeg is a hockey town. It deserves it to have a hockey team. Now you can't have people in the building, but they're finally past that Oilers step that they always stumbled on and they're looking ahead. It's got to be a fun place to be in these next coming weeks, uh, getting ready for and playing the second round series, I'd think. Yeah, for sure. And there, there was cars outside of Bell MTS Place honking. They had parades outside of the building. Uh, even late last night, my wife, we have a puppy now. So, of course, we're up at 1.30, 2.30 in the morning, taking them out to go to the bathroom. And my wife said she heard people yelling outside at that at 1.30 in the morning. So she had figured the Jets had won. It, it is going to be a fun place. And you heard the players allude to the fact that after that comeback in game three, they would have loved to see how loud the building would have got. Cause you know, there was the epic comeback in 2018. They're down three, nothing to Nashville, but that was in the first period. They're not down four one with under 10 minutes to go in, in the third period. So the fans deserve this. Uh, it's, you know, we're going through a tough time in terms of Manitoba and the COVID situation. Uh, it's changing all the time. It's always, you know, Alberta's gone through their time. Manitoba's going through theirs right now. So it, it's, they needed this. And I saw a lot of movement on social media about, you know, beating the Oilers. There's a lot of guys our age that went through the, those, that 1990. That, that's why the Jets had to win last night. Cause as soon as that comes in, Oh, the Oilers have come back from three, one, it's 1990 all over again, even though they weren't down three, nothing, but that three, one comeback comes up right away. It, it's, it's important for the city to, you know, say, we're as hockey crazy as Edmonton here and, Winnipeg. I didn't realize until I moved here how much they love this team and how important it is. And we've done a lot of Jets legends sit down with people, and you know you got tears. People bringing bringing up the team coming back in 2011, still, and it's 2021. Mark Chipman still emotional about it, uh, talking about a guy named Crappy who was uh, a war veteran that drove two and a half hours from Kenora, Ontario, every single game yep. uh, to see the Jets. So you, you realize how important this this team is to this city. It's crazy. Like uh, I, I know Edmonton is an Oilers town. 
the Jets are uh, this Winnipeg is a Jets town. It, it's it's really neat to be a part of, and it's been really fun living here and being a part of it. Well, I've been lucky. I worked for the Jets for a year, year and a half, and I yeah. and I really enjoyed the city very much. the The fans were fantastic and treated me really well. But I also knew playing in the old barn that if they did not have a new arena soon, that that team was going to leave. Mm-hmm. And so was yeah. I surprised when they left? No. Was I shocked and surprised when they came back? Absolutely not. I know there were people who said, why are they going back to Winnipeg? Like, I mean, I, mm-hmm. I'm thinking, well, then you don't know very much because Winnipeg is yes. a hockey town. I'm also now going to go back to, I, I thought of one guy after that winning goal last night and his number is 10. And the reason why I think that is because he kind of walked into my life last year as I was dealing with my stomach cancer and was very instrumental to me. And I remember we had like almost a one hour conversation and we talked about hockey and that kind of stuff. And he talked about how, how tough it was to constantly be meeting the Oilers in the playoffs and how much he desperately wanted to get over that hump and just could not do it and wish it, you know, he'd wish that he could do it for the city of Winnipeg, but it just wasn't in the cards for him. And he was hoping that at some point they would be able to finally win a series over Edmonton, which they've now done. So obviously that series, yeah. it's one thing to beat Nashville, but when you beat one of your competitive Canadian cities, it's just going to mean a little bit more. Yeah, and extra special. And that's another part of, I'd never met Dale Howarchuk. I only watched him a couple of times. My parents had season tickets for the, the Flames and got to watch him play with the Jets a couple of times. And I cheered against him um, as a Flames fan growing up. But meeting him and everyone tells you, okay, as soon as you meet him, you'll realize why people love him so much. And he makes you feel like you're the most important person sitting there. And hearing Mark Chipman tell the story and um, Craig Heisinger tell the story about the phone call they had with him to tell him before he passed away that they're building a statue for him in True North Square. I was honored to even be hear that conversation, to, to hear them talk about it. Um, he's a special guy. He has a huge imprint in the city. Of course, he helped develop Mark Shifley because he was the head coach of the Barry Colts. And Shifley speaks fairly highly of, of Dale Howarchuk. So I can see, Bryn, why he was such and so integral to your recovery because he, he's just that special of a person. And um, now that I'm a little bit older, you appreciate As soon as he walks in, it's the same as when you see Gretzky. It's like you're a kid all over again. It, yeah. That will never change. It, I, anytime I see Gretzky, I feel like I'm 10. Um, it, that, that never changes. Legends do that. And Dale Howarchuk is a legend and he's a legend in the city. It's, it's incredible. Well, twice in that one hour, I said, Hey, listen, I better let you go. I know you got stuff to do and people to talk to. And <laughs> no, no, I'm in no rush. He was in no rush. I, I yeah. swear he must've had his feet up. He was just enjoying the hockey talk. He was also, I, I never, I always looked at him as a player and I didn't realize until after my surgery that what he was also, he was a coach cause he'd coached me through that. So uh, yeah. I thought an awful lot of Dale after that win because I recognized that that's the one thing he wanted to do. He just wanted to win yeah. one series over Edmonton, he said. He's got it here, right? And, you know, he's, yeah. uh, he's watching down here, and that's the part. And uh, maybe that's another reason why Mark Shifley was so happy afterwards because I know he knows how important this would have been to uh, Dale Howard to, to watch this, and I'm sure he was watching. Well, Jamie, you're not, you're not nearly old enough to be uh, – <laughs> Fossils like, uh, <laughs> like Bryn and I. I used to, I used to love that shitty old barn they played in. Um, yeah. The squared off part, almost like a little Maple Leaf Gardens. The 
portrait of the queen yes. there, the uh, fitness test to get into the uh, press <laughs> box. I'd like to see Winnipeg take a run here because hockey matters there. Yeah, it's. I think you, that old rink. It reminds me of. I, I never saw Winnipeg Arena, but I think it's pretty close to the corral. Like there, I know there's bigger uh, population or seating guys in there, and uh, the corral was very compressed and old too, but not half the character of Winnipeg Arena. You know, it, it gets brought up a lot. Um, what the the run here in 2018 is such a waste. There's no fans. Like the people outside of the building in 2018 were, were something to see. Like there was more people outside of. LMTS place and there was inside and it just kept growing and growing. There was you could hear them cheering outside half the time during games. It's special. Hockey's special in our country, uh, especially in Western Canada. I, I say this all the time and I've said it already. We're we're lucky to cover the game. Um, Mike Keenan said, you know, it's it's a blessing, it's a privilege to cover the National Hockey League. And I feel exactly that way. And it would be very unique, but man, whatever, whoever is up next is going to be a crazy challenge for the Jets. And I know they're pretty happy. They've had have a couple of days off to work, work off whatever injuries they have. Cause that was a pretty physical series. And I'm sure it took a lot out of them, even though they won in four games. I was wondering about that last night, whether or not a long break is good or not for the Jets who are going to be very easy to cheer for down the stretch here, because Mm-hmm. Of, of what they have done here. I'm guessing that I hate the term Canada's team and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And especially when we're still talking about the fact there's th- three teams left in uh, in Winnipeg, mm-hmm. Montreal, and Toronto. But there's a lot to like with the Winnipeg Jets. And uh, I, I, I wondered last night whether or not getting right back to it as fast as possible to keep that momentum going would be better off than having a long break here. But you're right. You bring up some uh, valid points. It's... Uh, it, it's, it's, there's a lot of positives to this and a yeah. lot of positives to that, but there's also some negatives. Yeah. There's, it's, it, was, it was a long series. All right, guys, like you can't the three consecutive overtime games, the, the physicality, there was sacrifice in the body. I'm sure Blake Wheeler's happy that he gets to rest the family jewels a little bit for uh, the next few days. How do you rest? How out. do you rest the family <laughs> jewels? How do you rest those? <laughs> ice them. I think you ice them. I don't know. There's got to be something, something special. <laughs> what about <laughs> you go back when we have this commercial called Dr. J. Bonifay talking about <laughs> when, you know, taking away our powers as men to produce children. <laughs> I, Dr. Ho has so. got a, Dr. Ho has got some kind of uh, something for that. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. There's some, some, type of, but I think ice is the ultimate rest. <laughs> that rice, that thing rest ice. I can't remember the rest of it, but uh, I got off a long, <laughs> went off the rails here a little bit. I apologize. No, that, it's fine. I, I, it, it, you remember, like, I can't remember. I think it was when Red Deer went to the Memorial Cup final. I think it was 2001. It was in Regina. And someone asked Brent Sutter if he'd rather have playing the semifinal, get a bye to the, to the final. And, you know, Brent Sutter just gives you a look. And, you know, that's the wrong question to ask. Of course, yeah. you're going to take the break. I, I, I just think they, there's been so many pauses and, you know, hockey every other night for weeks on end all of a sudden you're off for four days you're off for five i think the jets are pretty prepared to whatever throw it comes their way in terms of a break uh they'll welcome it but it, it's been such a weird year already where it's just go 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 and then oh covid uh we got some games off here for four days or something like that so uh, they're ready for it and i'm sure there'll be lots of film watching 
Paul Maurice's they've watched more film this year than they probably watched in any other year he's been coaching. So I'm sure he's got something cooked up for whatever break and how long it turns out to be. Hey, before we let you go, I, I miss you driving by. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, yeah. uh, how many years in Edmonton were you? Uh, so 2002 to 2010. So eight years, uh, it was, it was my home. We lived in St. Albert. Two of my kids were born there. It's, uh, you know, you miss it. It's amazing how you think you're going to be back all the time. My family lives in Calgary. My in-laws live in Elk Point, Alberta. So we're, we're there every once in a while, but I have a lot of fond memories of Edmonton and, uh, like when you grow up hating the Oilers, the next thing you know, you're covering them. Yeah. It's a pretty funny world, how that works out. And then, uh, I've had, a lot of mentors along the way, a lot of learned a lot of lessons about uh, scrum etiquette from the likes of Robin Brownlee. And uh, I'll never forget those. And, you know, learn from Maddie uh, large, like there's just so many characters there that uh, you would love to see again. And I, I really hope this ridiculousness stops and we're able to travel next year. Cause I like to see my friends and I, I, I miss you guys. Well, now that you've been properly schooled during your time, <laughs> I'm happy to see I'm happy to see you're going to have some fun because there is, as you know, there's nothing that's more fun. If you're in the hockey business, whether you're playing it, talking about it or writing about it, uh, playoffs matter. That's where mm-hmm. the real stories get told and nice to see for at least another round, uh, there'll be more stories to come out of Winnipeg. I know. I'm sure you'll tell me, Robin, that you used to sit on the plane and in the back with Wayne Gretzky and talk to him after the game and write articles like George Johnson tells me all the time. Yeah, I used to sit in the back with Al McKinnis after they won the cup and I was sitting with the cup and they, we used to be able to do these types of things before more media came along. Now, So <laughs> I get to be that crotchety old guy here with the new faces here in Winnipeg. Hey, thanks for your time. This has been outstanding. It, it's really weird how when we, we booked you last week, mm-hmm. I don't think we any of us thought that this would be a four-game sweep but it certainly didn't feel that way. And the timing of getting you on uh, has been fantastic. Thank you for this. And Hey, listen, we might end up talking to you again here in another couple of weeks. You never know based on what we've seen out of the Winnipeg jets. Yeah, no kidding. I think there, it looked like they were built for a long run and it looks like it's going to turn out that way. But again, it's just such a long road and we all know how hockey turns out. Never turns out the way you think it's going to. Thanks for your time. Anytime, guys. All right, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, Robin and I will kind of give our Oilers spin on what there is an interesting summer coming ahead in the city of Edmonton as they start to finally crawl out of their cap hell, and now you're going to see exactly what Kenny Holland's all about. So we're going to get to that when we come back with more right here on The Outsiders. Hey, The Outsiders is brought to you by the Macintosh Group at REMAX River City. You can reach out to them, and it's real simple. Just pick up your phone and give them a call at 780-464-0075, or you can go online at macintoshgroup.ca. Of course, the playoffs are here. They're underway, and there's highs, and there's lows, and there's a lot of players who will be on the move this coming summer. I'm not saying that uh, they're going to be reaching out and giving Brent McIntosh or any of his team members a call, but you might want to do that because you've got team members who might be on the move. 
And of course, this isn't the regular season in real estate either. The McIntosh Group at Remax River City, they're in playoff mode all year long. So if you're looking for a clutch performance for your next real estate transaction, then make sure you give them a shout and add them to your roster and they will help you get the most money in the least amount of time for your home. And perhaps maybe even you know somebody who's looking to buy a home right now. Well, whatever you do, give Brent and the team a call. They'd love to hear from you. It's the McIntosh Group at REMAX River City. Once again, that phone number, 780-464-0075. Or check them out online at mcintoshgroup.ca and say that you heard this on The Outsiders. Okay, Robin, it was great to be chatting with Jamie Thomas in Winnipeg and getting the Winnipeg spin on everything that has happened here over the last week or so. Let's now take a look at the Edmonton spin. And I use the term fan and media backwash. Nothing is more fun for me than watching everybody overanalyze or being overly emotional about the situation. But, you know, there's a lot of Euler hate out there. There's a lot of Euler disappointment out there. Where do you want to start with this? Let's let's go right off the top in the series and your spin on things. What did you like from an Oiler perspective and what did you not like? Well, you know, I tell you, when you talk about the backwash or backlash after a series like this, I understand it from the fans' point of view because it doesn't matter if maybe you deserved better the numbers suggest you could have won a game or two. It's a four-game sweep. You're out. You're done. It's another year of uh, Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl uh, not carrying the team deep into the playoffs and, and making a cup run. And, and I tell you what, um, we're early in the tenure of Ken Holland and Dave Tippett, but we're not early in terms of fans who've been watching this team however far back you want to go if you want to go back to the last cup even that's 31 years so it's not well we'll get there be patient patience doesn't sell here i thought they'd win this series i thought they there were a lot of reasons why by the slimmest of margins in each game but i thought they were good enough to do it so i understand the disappointment what comes now is the Ken Holland can't build a team. Uh, Dave Tippett can't coach a team. Connor McDavid can't lead a team and, and the blow things up and the people who let frustration speak for them. When you're a fan of a hockey club, you don't, you, you don't only pay with your money, you pay, you have an emotional investment. So it's going to be tear down time. Nothing's good enough time. Um, for the next, I don't know how long, you've, you've got experience with this too. It's going to be a while. Then you're going to settle in and have to look ahead and see what needs to be done. But right now, you don't want to hear that McDavid's still young, Dreisaitl's a terrific player, and there's some building blocks. As a fan, you're pissed off, 
and I get it. I see more than that, but as a fan, I understand where the uh, sentiment in the city comes from today. Well, and the other thing too, you've got buddies in Calgary, you've got friends in Vancouver, you've got relatives in Winnipeg, and they're all piling on. So of course you're going to take a rather negative look at things, but I, yeah. usually when I see a four game sweep, I see total dominance by one team over another. This was a four game sweep. I didn't see that. I didn't see total no. dominance from one team over the other. I saw, as I mentioned earlier, in the face-off circle, Winnipeg was far superior. But from the net mining standpoint, Winnipeg was a little bit better. On the power play and the penalty kill, Winnipeg was a little bit better. The bottom six, Winnipeg was a little bit better. And then they got the right goals from the right people. Look at the look at this triple overtime game. The Oilers get one unbelievable chance, and who's going in on the breakaway? Is it one of their stars? No. No. Winnipeg, a few minutes later, get their one opportunity. Guy busting down the right wing. Who is it? One of their stars puts it in. And that was the series. The series, you know, and, and you can talk all you want about a choke job or whatever and having the 4-1 lead in game three, which was really the turning point of the series for me yes. and for a lot of people. But the bottom line is the two teams were close. The fact that we were saying on our last podcast I said it would be six or seven for the Oilers because I thought it was going to be close. It was close. A four-game sweep doesn't say that, but I think if you take a look at it, I think it was still a close series. There's a lot of work for the Oilers to be done now. I've always believed that for a general manager, you've got to get five years to get your system kind of rolling. Ken Holland's now finally starting to get out from underneath some of the Peter Shirelli deals. He's got a summer coming up where he's going to have a shitload of cap room and space. I think we do need to address uh, a few things. One, let's go with Ryan Nugent Hopkins right off the top. I do not see him coming back. I think that money is going to be spent on a winger for Connor McDavid. Uh, It's going to be time now to start taking a look at free agent signings and what they're going to do. But I think that I don't think we're going to see Connor and Leon playing together as much as we did this year. I think the ultimate goal is to have them both centering lines because it makes you a more valuable team in that respect. But they've got to find somebody with Connor who can score some goals. You know, what with, with Nugent Hopkins, um, the way this year has unfolded, most recently this disappointing uh, sweep at the hands of the Jets, it's not so much his fault as his problem. He's going into UFA status uh, during a, a flat cap and having had a flat season and playoff for him. I don't think Ryan Nugent Hopkins needs to take a pay cut to stay in the National Hockey League. I think he probably needs to take a pay cut to stay in Edmonton, though, Uh, And I don't know that that's going to happen. I think Ken Holland being the veteran he is because Nugent Hopkins has this right. He doesn't have to grant him permission for anything, but Ken can say, you know what, Brian, of course we're interested. I mean, you don't, you don't want to burn any bridges before you've even had a chance to sit down. We're interested, but maybe you should go check things out, uh, see how you feel. And then we can get back together. That's the smart move. He's going to know that there's not a shitload of money waiting out there for Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Might he get more than he'll get here? Possibly. Mm -hmm. Might he have as good a chance to win as he'll have here, which I know 
may sound odd considering this team is out in the first round, but let's see how it plays out. But I don't think Nugent Hopkins is back unless he's willing to play for a contract that starts with a five and has no more term uh, than five years. People used to be talking a slight raise, six, five, maybe, maybe a number that started with seven. It wasn't that long ago. You can look it up, Yeah, but that's not going to happen now. And it shouldn't happen now. Okay. Let's now talk about Connor McDavid. I saw Connor McDavid in this series. I've never seen before. And that was an emotional, more, far more emotional player getting excited on goals, chewing guys out on the bench. There was a, there was one point in overtime where he was actually skating around and up and down the bench while they were clearing the, clearing the ice of the debris between the breaks. And it was like he was coaching the team from in front. And I like that, Connor McDavid. I like the fact that he went after Pooley-Arvey about, you've got to get that puck on my... It's got to be on the tape. Somebody's got yeah. to be demanding, and it can't always be the coach. And no. if anybody, it's got to be the captain. He is the captain. I liked everything I saw out of Connor McDavid in game number four away from the game. And now, of course, the obligatory when's he going to leave Edmonton stuff is coming out, and I just don't see that ever happening. I just don't see it happening. No, I mean, you know, I mean, we talked about a tweet last night. I'm not going to show anybody up by name, but I just roll my eyes when I see it. Oh, Connor won't stand for much more of this. It's only a matter of time. And if it's a fan, I get it. Half the time it's a troll. But media guys jump in on this too. Connor McDavid, that competitive nature, he doesn't turn it on and off. It does smolder just underneath the surface and you see it in games like last night, but you don't think he was emotional. Uh, the time he motioned to the official check upstairs on this goal, he, you run him. Uh, he remembers, he comes back harder. You shut him down. He thinks of a way to, to uh, get around what you've been successful with. He's the most competitive player uh, the Oilers have. And here's the thing, Bren, and you mentioned it as the captain, but letter or not, if it doesn't matter when your best player and the best player in the league, for my money, stands up and says something in the room, we're not privy to that, but it, I'm sure it happens. If you're not going to buy it from the guy at the top, who, you, who are you going to buy it from? Right. You can have a vocal... You can have a vocal third liner or a, a glue guy, and you need those guys. But Connor McDavid is built to lead. He's competitive enough. He's talented enough. And I don't see him walking away because it's been a tough time or poor me. I more likely see Ken Holland and him having a discussion about maybe what needs to be done uh, and with some cap space to do it and taking a next step because I don't think this team needs to be blown up. And I don't think it's a team that Connor McDavid needs to walk away from to have a chance to win. I, I was amused very much by the responses that I saw on Twitter about the fact that the hockey night in Canada guys are going on and on and on about this, uh, this, the little episode we saw on the bench between Connor McDavid and Yessi Pooley Arvey. That happens all the time. Yep. We, it happens all the time on the bench. Now, did, did, did I look at the fact that they were talking it out on television as being a negative? No, I liked it. I thought it was great. That's To me, that's what those, that's what those panels should be doing. I find the panel yeah. stuff a little bit boring at times. But I thought last night, 
they did a nice job of 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 breaking that down. And I I like that. That's the that's why we watch sports, right? For emotional outbursts. That that's that's all part of the fun. Well, I'll tell you what, Bryn, if they opened up the microphones more, and we've heard a few more things because the building is so quiet now that you don't hear yeah. when there's the, the din and the roar. This happens all the time. These are teammates. These are, are guys who go over the boards with each other and play to win. And the things you hear, you'd, some people would be surprised. I wouldn't be. It's not friction or dissent or there's a problem in the room. It's, hey, guys, let's effing go. It's guys talking to each other about how the game is played and the expectations. If you're stunned and shocked and clutching your pearls over what Connor McDavid said to Yesipol Yarvi, you haven't been watching the game very long. Or if you have, you haven't been paying attention. And I'll guarantee you by the time that this podcast is out, on a Tuesday afternoon, the episode between Connor and Pugliarvi has been solved by Pugliarvi and Connor. Yeah. It, it's not like that kind of stuff does brew. It's it's more often it's more often important for a volcano to blast once in a while rather than just keep it inside because that's when you know there's yeah. really going to be a big eruption. Okay, let's take a look at a couple of things here. Oilers are coming out of a cap hell, so obviously this is something we've been talking about for three, four years. They're now coming out of it. They've got some space to do stuff. Let's talk about Darnell Nurse, who was unbelievable in that game on mm. Monday night, playing over 60 minutes in that game. He still got one year left in his contract, but I would be really surprised if the Edmonton Oilers aren't chatting with him very quickly about, okay, what are you looking for? Because that's going to mean an awful lot about how much money they're going to be spending here in the cap. Even though it's a year away, you still have to have a plan in place. So for Ken Holland, I'd be very surprised if he's not talking to the nurse camp over the next few weeks just to see what are you thinking? What do you like? Where do you guys want to be a year from now? Because I need to put my plan in place now. Do you see that? Yeah, I agree. Darnell Nurse is a keeper. Um, he's improved a little bit here and there. Oh, I think there might have been one year where he took a step back, but for the most part, you know, he's a first pairing defenseman. You can say whatever you want. His, his offense is, is, is pretty good. Uh, his leadership uh, qualities are very good, and his defensive play uh, is just fine. He's a legit first-pairing guy. Um, there's, the good thing is, is they're already paying Darnell a good wage. They are not going to have to, you know, come up with another $6 bucks to keep Darnell nurse. He's already making a good dollar. He's going to get paid and he deserves to, but they can afford to pay him. They've got some talent bubbling up underneath on the blue line. And I think the bigger, it's not even a decision, the bigger fact, because you're keeping nurse, you, you know, you're going to have to essentially, I think, uh, let uh, Tyson Berry go. I was going to get to that. Yep. Yeah. He took a bargain deal. He bet on himself, and we like it when players do that, and he delivered as expected. He's going to make – he's going to command the kind of money unless he surprises everybody and says, you know what, I'd stay here for five. Um, then you got something to think about if yes, you're you Ken do. Holland. Because he's a, I mean, 
with Bouchard and with all the kids, I get that. If Tyson Berry will take a cut right here because he goes, I got lots of money, and despite this disappointment, I'll stay, you at least talk about it. But he's going to get seven, seven something somewhere else. Offense creates numbers when it comes to a contract, and that's the one thing Tyson Berry has been able to do. Flat cap affects him just like everybody if he wants to stay for a reasonable rate, he might come back, but I just don't see it. Why did he take the cut deal to reestablish himself if he didn't want to go where the money was? I totally agree with that. And uh, then let's take a look at Ryan Nugent Hopkins. I do believe he's gone because I think they're going to have to spend that money on a winger for Connor. And uh, I, it's, it's unfortunate because as was brought up, uh, Nuge has been great in the community. He's been great on the ice. He's been a wonderful teammate. However, at some point, change is good. Would be good for him. And the one thing about fans, and I and I love it, is that you fall in love with your hockey team. You fall in love with players. Yeah. And so you hate to think about, and you get emotional about it. You hate to think about a guy like that going away. But it may be time for a change. The other thing, too, haven't won with him. So maybe you need to find somebody else who might be able to add an element to the hockey club that they've been missing. So would I be surprised if Nuge was gone? No. Do I see him taking a discount? No, I don't. I think the Players Association would hate that. So I see Nuge and Barry both gone. You talked about defensemen. Felt really sorry for Ethan Bear in this playoff because he just was totally out of sync and looked awful and made a horrible, horrible giveaway in the third period of game number four. But I, I still, uh, I see Ethan Barron. and I see a lot of confidence, but he should never be more than a five, six defenseman playing X amount of minutes. He was put into a position where they played a lot of, he was playing way too much time. You and I have seen this. Yeah. We've seen players who are clearly playing too much, too much time. They're on the ice for too long. And when their minutes get trimmed back by six minutes or so, they're a much better player. I think Ethan Bear is going to fall into that category. And the one time he was on in, in the overtime session, he, almost, he got hung out to dry a little bit by a bad a bad clear-in by Connor McDavid. you got to get the puck deep. So he'd gone yeah. off the ice, and we, the Oilers could not get their two defensemen off the ice or onto the ice in time, and we have our game and series-winning goal. And it's just unfortunate that it was Bear because – Every time you looked around and there was a mistake being made in this series, it was Ethan Bear, who's young and will learn. So for all those people who want to get rid of guys like that, no, you don't you gotta be patient with young guys like that. And and you know how you get better? You get burned. And he really got burned in this series. Well, I tell you what, Bryn, this is the group that's in the most flux. There is going to be some changes at forward. But when you look at this defensive group, there's some wild cards, even though we think we know which way it might go. Nurse is here, and he's going to get paid down the road. Barry's a wild card only because we don't know yet. We think we know what's going to happen. What's going to happen with Oscar Clefbaum? If he says, I'm ready to go, Right. And I don't know if that's likely or even possible because I haven't talked to the doctors. I'm not on the beat. Nor would they but tell you. If Oscar, yeah. If Oscar, if Oscar Clefbaum is ready to play, you don't say no thanks. Um, 
So those are the two wild cards. Then you've got young Bouchard, who a lot of the fan base is clamoring uh, to see more of. You know, why did you play Barry so much when we had Bouchard, so on and so forth? Uh, Bear, I don't think you write that kid off. Now he had a tough stretch. A lot of guys who turned into really good defensemen have had those stretches and then some. So no, Ethan Bear, you don't write him off in any way. What about the what about the other guys coming up? What about Caleb Jones? What about William Laguson? These are guys bubbling up from underneath. I don't think any of those belong in that top four to start anything, but they have to bubble up and push. Yeah. And then you see what you've got. You don't know what you've got with Ethan Barry yet, to be honest. If I you agree. look at games played, you don't know what you've got with Caleb Jones yet. Dave Tippett might think he's got a good idea. And I'll defer to a guy who's coached in the NHL as long as Tip has, but you don't know for sure. So there's questions there. Can the young guys come in and play? Well, if you hit on a couple of them, um, that defense is, put it this way, there's more depth on defense than this team has enjoyed in a long time. And that's without even having to count on Clefbaum or Barry. So it's... It's never perfect, but it's better than it has been in years and years. Okay, and your assessment on the coaching while we're breaking everything down from an Oilers perspective and then before we start talking about a few of these other series, I I just never really, and I, I like Dave Tippett, but I just didn't like the way the team was manipulated down the stretch. I didn't like this, well, we've got to get so-and-so into the lineup. I'm a big believer in getting some momentum going into the playoffs. And I just didn't feel like they had momentum going into the postseason at all. You know, like, why are you worried about Miko Koskinen when you know you're going to be going to war with Mike Smith? I would just continue to play Smith and try to get him into a groove. Well, he clearly was in a groove. He, he wasn't the reason why the Oilers lost this series. But I would have liked to have seen them just stay with the lineup. It's the old dance with the one that brung you. And I just, I didn't like the handling of the team in the final two to three weeks. But, you know, there was also the timeout that he could have called when things were coming off the rails in game three. And he knew he had a TV timeout a minute and a half away. They never got to that minute and a half. There there were a lot of little things that I didn't like, but I'm certainly not prepared to say, you got to get rid of Dave Tippett. I, I, I like the job that he's done, but coaches make mistakes. They always do. They always will. We always sound smarter with the benefit of hindsight. Oh, yeah. Um, I quite liked the way Tippett handled the team uh, down the stretch when they were locked in place. His choice was to not sit out Dreisaitl and McDavid, but to cut back their minutes. Now, did they tear it up in the playoffs the way we'd seen? Well, no. I don't think there's a direct connection, though, between how he handled them. The Koskinen thing, you know what? Again, the benefit of the doubt. Say what you want. Um, Koskinen, to me, uh, he's got, I mean, you find, you move him along. But uh, at the same time is, uh, you know, Alex Stalock, you mean, why didn't they play Stalock? Well, it's easy to say after Koskinen blows a wheel and is upside down in the ditch on fire. You mean Alex Stalock, the guy who hadn't played since August? That Alex Stalock? That's the one. How would how would bringing him for him in for a, a game or a period or two 
make a difference. The important thing was to rest Smith, as people have referred to 101,000 times in the last two weeks. He's 39 years old. And as much of a fitness freak as he is as, and a competitor, you needed to get him uh, the rest. And you're going to, if, if something happens, if he goes down, if he gets hurt, you're not, Alex Stalock isn't the guy, while you're shitting your pants, by the way, that you have to go to if something happens to Smith. It's Miko Koskinen. So leave Stalock out of it. Short sum, summation, Bryn, for me. Was it perfect? No. But I, I liked for the most part the way he handled the team and the minutes. I thought he might actually pull back more on uh, Darnell Nurse for one. 62 minutes last. Are you kidding me? 62 minutes. I know. But down the stretch. But you know what? If Dar we're not in that room, and if Darnell says, "Coach, I'm good," coach, oh, where you good. go? You go with the player. Yeah, absolutely. Not macho stuff. Yeah. Oh, it doesn't hurt. I can play through it. It's just a flesh wound. You know, the the dark night or whatever. You say if the player says, "Coach, I'm good." Nah, I'm pulling you anyway. Nah, you don't want to get into that. So. I had no problem with his handling of the team. Okay. We'll disagree on that. And that's, uh, I mean, everybody's got their own way of looking at it and spinning things. And sometimes teams that, that make and guarantee a playoff spot with about three weeks to go, sometimes they lose a little bit of that edge. Uh, I don't know. Like I say, we'll, that's what the summer's for. We're going to be talking an awful lot about that. And by the way, Miko Koskinen back or not? I would hope not. I would hope that uh, you go looking for a starting goaltender and that uh, you ask uh, Mike Smith if he wants to come back uh, as the backup or to platoon. I think you've got to upgrade on Smith despite the season he had. As good as he was and as much as he battles, Let's not get carried away and say, well, our number one guy's 40 years old. Nah. But I think Koskinen has to go. That's easier said than done. It'll cost you some money. Uh, but if you can get rid of Milan Lucic, you can get rid of Miko Koskinen. And with some of the young guys, you might have to make a move that is going – to me, the window is now opening for the Edmonton Oilers. And yep. you cannot worry about where is this club going to be five to eight years from now, you got to worry about where's this club going to be inside the next four to five years. Yes. Agreed. So if that means that some of these young guys are going to have to be let go or traded away to get a veteran in that will help you win in the next five years, you've got to do it. That's the, that's just my take on it. The other thing too, the fan base has also been pretty beaten up. This series reminded me a lot of the flames in 2017. They took on Anaheim. This series really mirrored for me that series with Calgary, where Calgary played, I thought, really well and lost in the same kind of dramatic way that the Oilers were losing. The only difference is they didn't have a generational talent on their lineup. So every team's kind of gone through this. Now, very quickly before we go away, the playoffs, the other series, Washington is out. Are you surprised by that? Yeah, I'm surprised that it happened. Uh, the way it did. Uh, they're an awful good team who's been around the block uh, long enough uh, to, to know how to play when it when it counts in the postseason. Yeah, I'm surprised. I didn't see it, uh, you know, ending quickly. I, as I'm more surprised by that than I am by 
the four nothing result with the Oilers. I'm surprised that it was four zip as we've discussed ad nauseum here, but uh, I'm surprised the Capitals aren't still playing hockey. Yeah. Okay. And Colorado knock off the St. Louis blues. The blues are out. Yeah. I think most people have kind of picked Colorado to perhaps win it all, if not just win Mm -hmm. the West. So that's not a big surprise. So obviously we have Colorado and we have the Bruins moving ahead. And some of the other series, the Pittsburgh Penguins are, are now trailing in their series with the Islanders. Yes. So now we're going to, you know, like I said, when we get to next week's edition of this podcast, we could have an, all, an awful lot to talk about. Leafs and the yes. Habs. Toronto's obviously got a lead on Montreal, but Montreal have been making life miserable. And if, as far as the Winnipeg Jets are concerned, they would like to see the Habs continue to make life miserable. Lightning and Panthers... Been a great series so far. Tampa still leads at three to two at the time of our taping today. Mm-hmm. And Florida looked like they're not going to go down without a fight. And the Minnesota Wild with a huge win over the Golden Knights. So Billy Guerin's team is still hanging in there. But I don't know. Like I said, by this time next week, we're going to have lots of other stuff to talk about. But that's kind of our breakdown on the Oilers and Jets for the most part. And Carolina, you know, Carolina might be the team that comes out of this side of things. A lot sure. of people like them. A- absolutely. So there's uh, lots of hockey talk. Hey, before we go, you and I, and we talk about yes. the fact we're getting on in age, Phil Mickelson wins <laughs> the U.S. Open. Oldest guy to win a major, 51 years of age. Good for him. He, he just looked, he just, Phil's always had this thing about him where he's always like, this happy-go-lucky he really looked focused, and it was uh, great to see. So, congratulations to him! Wow. Well, take a deep breath, Brent. I look, I, I look at Phil, and he's fifty-one years old. And they talk about the old guy. I'm going, shit, fifty-one. I'll take fifty-one any day. That yeah. was eleven years ago, for crying out loud. Yeah, if I could yeah, go back good, there. You know what? Good for him. Good. You know what? He played in the shadow of you know who for a long time. He's been a terrific player. Tiger Woods is out of the game right now. You go back beyond this new wave of young players who are dominating, and Phil Mickelson's name is always right there. And he says, "Hey, I'm not, uh, I'm not done yet." Uh, it was fun to see him win. Okay, Robin, thanks. This is great. We'll uh, we'll be back again next week. Don't forget, you can check us out on Twitter. The handle is real simple at Outsiders Twenty Twenty. Make sure you tell your friends to follow us or subscribe and uh, click on our RSS feed on any of your favorite ear candy sites like Apple, Google, Spotify, Pocket Cast, whatever. That way, when we drop a new episode, you get it immediately. And uh, that's pretty much it. Hey, also, you can listen on YouTube as well. And your feedback is always welcome. We really, we really can't tell you enough about how much we love the feedback. And also, big thank you once again to Brent McIntosh of the McIntosh Group at REMAX River City because, you know, potential advertising partners, we love that. So if you're interested yep. in jumping on board with us, please do. Just get a hold of us. It's uh, it's pretty simple. Theoutsiders at shaw.ca or uh, drop us a, a note on our uh, Twitter handle. Okay, to finally seal up the crypt for the Edmonton Oilers, we end with this. Robin, we'll talk to you next week, okay? You will. All right. What a play by Ethan Barry. Hasn't played in over two periods, and he poke checks Wheeler driving to the net. And now, a golden opportunity. Kyle Connor shoots and he scores! Kyle Connor! 
storm in the castle. <laughs>